journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. I am your host, Adol Kazilski, and we are learning together the Chumash, the five books of Moses. The Bible in its real, raw, unadulterated form. We learn it in Hebrew because in Hebrew is where we get every single nuance and every single hint. And uh, if you are not driving, I encourage you just to pull out a Bible, turn to the book of Exodus. We're starting chapter 3 and we're going to be starting verse 1. We are following the trials and the tribulations of the Jewish people. Um, we followed all the way from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the descent of Jacob into Egypt, and how the Jews got enslaved. We've learned in detail how, in fact, um, Moshe was saved um, during the terrible persecution of the, the, the young children, and how eventually he has to run away, and he finds himself eventually, and this is where we're going to pick up now, in the country of Midian, and how he lands up marrying the Midianite priest who was none other than Yitro, becomes his father-in-law, um, he lands up marrying um, Tzipporah. And Moshe settles down himself to a life of being a shepherd. But as always we know that there are times when God um, will decide what to do, and it might just not be the way you thought things will turn out. In fact, probably nine out of ten times, many, many people um, dream their lives to be one way, and they actually land up being something else. But having said that, one should always keep into account that wherever you find yourself and wherever God takes you is where you're supposed to be, and this is really going to be your part of the world and where you need to bring healing, tikkun olam, to the world. So we're going to start on chapter 3, verse 1, and we are going to see the setting from which the redemption is about to be conceived, and it will take then its path of fruition. O Moshe haya ro'e etzon yitro chotno, Kohen Midian, Moshe was tending the sheep of his father-in-law Yitro, who was the priest of Midian. Vayin hag etatzon, and he led the fog, the fog. Listen to me, the flock, to the Achar Hamidbar, to the edge of the desert. Vayavo elhar haElokim Choreva, and he comes to God's mountain called Chorev. One sentence um, succinctly says that he was a shepherd to his father-in-law. He took his flock to the edge of the desert, and he comes upon a mountain called Chorev. But let's really go back and dissect that and understand what the Torah is coming to tell us, not only about Moshe, but about things that we can apply in our day-to-day -day life. Firstly, Moshe being mentioned as a shepherd is an introduction to indicate that he was going to be the one chosen to be the redeemer of Israel. And if you look back in the Bible, 
you will see that Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, King David, David Amelech, they were all shepherds. There are many, many qualities um, that the shepherds had to use in order to be a successful shepherd. But those qualities were big enough and great enough to allow them to become leaders of the Jewish people. So the Midrash goes and tells us that one day um, Moshe was tending to Yitro's, Yitro's flocks and a little kid, one of the little lambs ran away. And um, being the kind, considerate chap that he was and that he was careful with his father-in-law's possessions, he ran after, he pursued the little kid and he came to a place called Aspa. And at this place called Aspa, there was a cool stream that was flowing. And this little kid ran up to the brook and he started drinking his fill. And uh, the Midrash goes on to say that Moses said to himself, wow, I didn't realize this. This kid was thirsty, that he ran all this way for a drink of water. Nebuch shame. He now is probably certainly exhausted from running. And he also drank before he had a chance to rest. And I'm sure he's not now going to have strength to walk all the way back to the rest of the flock. And with that, Moshe took this little lamb in his arms and he carried it back. The Midrash finishes up and says, God says, you have such pity on such a simple animal. If that is so, now you are ready to be the shepherd of Israel. So that act of kindness that he showed to that poor little little lamb made God assign to him the fact that he was now able to come into a leadership position. Now, Let's just be clear. There were times that Moshe did not show such pity, okay? You remember when he killed the Egyptian for beating an Israelite? And uh, when now later he fought the Midianite shepherds to rescue Yitro's daughter? The bottom line is being a leader, being somebody who can lead people, one has to have a balance between when one needs to show strength, one needs to show courage, one needs to show integrity and morality, and then when one needs to have rahmanas, to have um, kindness and forgiveness and having a sense of mercy for another. And so as you see, as Moshe develops, you'll see that he has all those qualities. Certainly, one of the greatest qualities a leader must have is the quality of Patience. Before a person can lead people, he must have the patience to carry and endure the burdens of the people. And he also needs to treat each individual as, a, as, as a, each person as an individual. And he needs to pray for the people when they do wrong. And here you can see by the simple act of him pursuing one small little tiny kid, he could have gone, ah, doesn't matter, you know, it's not going to be a huge loss. In the greater picture of him, no, he pursued it. And then when he found it and he saw the way it lapped up the water because it was so thirsty, he had the, 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 he was able to perceive that this poor little lamb was now very tired and he took the kid in his arms and carried it back. This is an incredible trait for a leader that one is able to put oneself in 
another person's shoes and understand, understand their trials and tribulations. That was an incredible, incredible, um, characteristic of, of Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, by the way, that's why also we had all the patriarchs being shepherds. Um, and they were able to cultivate this trait of mercy because they would, they didn't, they weren't bogged down with, with the, the noise and humdrum of, of the city. They would go into open fields. The air, the air is clear there. There's nothing to disturb one from one's spiritual thoughts. And they would have a tranquility of mind and they would be able to focus and they would be able to have more intent and more insight into what, what was going around with them. So this manifestation that we saw about Moshe was just one of the many traits. We're going to discuss a few more. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, what other qualities did we, did we, um, see in Moshe? Well, again from the verse, we could see here, Vayin Hag Etatzon Achar Hamidbar, that he would bring his sheep to pasture beyond the desert. Why did he do such a thing? Because there, the desert, the land has no owners. He didn't want to take anything dishonestly, even grass from another man's field. Now, obviously, it entailed considerable effort for him to move all his sheep there. But he would only pasture the sheep beyond the desert where the grass was ownerless. Here is another trait that God was looking at him. Before raising a person to a high position, God will test him with regard to his honesty. Because we all know, let's, let's face it folks, temptations to take illegal, illegal gain can be very, very strong. And most people don't resist it. Some people don't even consider it a sin um, to take something that's not theirs. And if somebody is a person who pursues unjust gain, he's not careful in cheating another person, then he's not fit to be a leader. Because when you give power, he does whatever he pleases. Unfortunately, this we can see in our very own country with the corruption that goes on. Moshe Rabbeinu demonstrated his perfection in this test. So it would be so much more effort, but he would drive the sheep, the sheep for miles before that he would eat, he would allow them to eat, and therefore he was considered as a great candidate to being a leader in Israel. Just by the way, King David also was chosen to be a shepherd for the very, for very similar reasons. Now here's another thing. If you look at the verse again, it says, Moshe Hayaro e etzon yitro chotno kohen midian. Okay, folks, we all know that he was a shepherd, that he shepherded the, the sheep of Yitro, who was his father, and that his father-in-law, and that his father-in-law was a kohen midian. Why repeat it again? Because we're told that Moshe Rabbeinu was not afraid to announce that he was tending to Yitro's sheep. That's why it says Moshe was tending to the sheep of Yitro, his father-in-law. Remember, 
We spoke about the fact that Yitro had been excommunicated by the townspeople because he abandoned their idolatrous rights and people were trying to harm him. And so he was completely left to the side. But Moshe was not shy to go and say, this is who I'm, who I look over. And wherever he went, he openly announced that the sheep belonged to Yitro. Why did he do that? Because a person of integrity trusts in God. And when one trusts in God, one doesn't have any fear. When you are telling the truth and you are doing the right thing, even though it can be that, um, that, uh, that, that, that things are, 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 are being said wrong or that there's peer pressure or that the news will report it. If you stand integrous and you tell the truth, then you have no fear because Hashem is on your side. Now, there was another added thing to this, and that was that Yitro was quite wealthy, and he gave Moshe many sheep for himself. And even though he had his own concerns, Moshe only tended to his father-in-law's sheep. He didn't want to think that he was taking good care of his father-in-law's sheep because he had an interest of his own. He wanted to know, and he wanted to tell the world that he only tended to his father-in-law's sheep, and he was doing that with complete and utter honesty. That is something, okay, um, that is something that that we're told in the book of Bamidbar. It says, you shall be honest before God and before Israel. Having the appearance of honesty and behaving in an honest way is vitally, vitally important. And just like Jacob, when he looked after Lavan's sheep, they flourished, so too, in the merit of Moses, the flocks increased greatly, no sheep died, none of them became sick, none of them were attacked by wild animals. So um, the bottom line is, is that um, what we see from all of this is that as a leader, and as a Jewish person, one has to have compassion, one, one, one has to have patience, one has to be morally integrous, and one has to practice a lot of honesty, like full-blown honesty. Okay, we're still on that same verse. Now we're going to come to the last few words. V'yavo el har ha'elokim choreva. He comes to Horeb, which is called Har Elohim, God's mountain. Why is it called God's mountain? Because um, God's mountain um, is the mountain on which God will reveal himself when he gives the Torah to the Jewish people, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the Torah. And the Mount of Horeb is a synonym for Mount Sinai. They one and the same, the one and the same thing. Now, we are told that Moses saw many, many flocks of birds flying around um, this mountain. But what was interesting was that the birds were keeping their distance. They never actually landed or rested on the mountain. Um, and when Moses appeared, the birds just came to his feet. So he understood that where he had arrived was something out of the ordinary. And just by the way, one other thing that I failed to mention was that um, Moses 
um, this, the, the, the space between Midian and where Mount Sinai was, the foot of, was, was quite a few days journey. Space contracted for him. One instance he was in Midian and then in the next he was at the foot of Sinai. And we have that many, many times. For example, we spoke about when Eliezer went to find a, a wife for Yitzchak. He had kvitzit haderich. He had a contraction of time. And he, he went from Hebron all the way to Haran, which should have been a 10-day journey. It got contracted. We have many, many situations in the Torah where we see a contraction of time and or space. Very interestingly, this Shabbat, I was reading a book reconciling the six days of creation, dinosaurs, the Garden of Eden, with what um, science says about all of these things. And one of the interesting ideas, and I can't say that I understood it completely, but there is this concept in, I think it's in physics, astronomy, I'm not sure, but in one of the natural sciences where there's a thing called fundamental time and general time. And based on the idea of relativity of where you find yourself, for one person, it could take X amount of time to get from A to B, but if you're looking from a different perspective, that time can either be expanded or contracted. And so when we find situations in the Torah where they talk about time standing still or time changing or space, um, it is this phenomenon that is, 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 is practiced. Right, let's go on to verse 2. Vayere Malach Hashem Elav, an angel of God appeared to him. Belabat Eish, in a heat, in a heart of a fire. Mitoch Hasne, in the midst of a bush. Vayar, and lo and behold, Vihine Hasne Boer Baesh, the bush was burning in fire. Vihasne Eneinu Ukal, the bush was not consumed. Okay, so we would, um, we know here that we are looking at the famous burning bush and everybody knows the, the idea behind it that this was a lowly bush and it was ablaze. There was a fire burning, but it didn't get consumed. So let's just break it down a little bit more. Okay. Um, and let's see what it says. It says that basically Moses saw a wondrous sight. An angel appeared to him in the midst of the fire, in the middle of the branches of this bush. And as the, the Pasuk says, as the verse says, the bush was completely in flames. It was not being consumed. Who was that angel? The angel was none other than the angel Gabriel. He's known as the angel of fire. Others say, others other rabbis say it was Michal. Michal is the greatest of the angels. He's also called Metatron, and um, he's also called Sar Hapanim, the master of the face. Whatever it was, the flame that Moses saw was the, was the radiance of the divine. Now, why did God show the angel, not himself? Because he was weaning Moshe. He was trying to accustom himself to seeing the radiance of God and having the courage to face it. Because when he's going to come and receive the Torah, he will have com a complete revelation of the divine and you could be completely finished by it. In fact, the Jewish people were. They heard the voice of God, okay, um, that 
that that that's where it was and they passed out so what God was doing is he was trying to accustom Moshe to the divine little by little. First, he would show him an angel, and only later on would he allow Moshe to experience the full revelation of the divine presence. Now, let's look at all all the metaphoric things that uh, we're talking about over here that um, – that, 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 what, what is the symbolism around the burning bush? Firstly, one of Moshe's concerns was that he ran away from Egypt and he saw how terrible the hard labor was and how hard things were, right? And, um, what I just, I just actually realized I left out a verse, which I'm going to go back to after this. What was his concern? His concern was that um, the Jews were being destroyed. So the first thing that God was showing him through the burning bush, God used the bush as a symbol. Just as the bush would burn without being consumed, so the Israelites were being persecuted, but they were not being annihilated. That's the first thing. The second thing is that God also wanted to teach Moshe a lesson in faith. Because we are told that even when a person has a sword on his neck, he should trust in God and not give up hope. Because God can protect a person no matter what his situation is. So here was a thorn bush. It can usually be ignited by the smallest ember. Okay. Um, and here it was. It, it remained whole. A huge flame was burning in its midst and nothing was happening to it. Why? Because God willed it so. In other words, neither a sword nor fire, no water can harm a person unless God wills it. And we've spoken about it, okay, all the time, that we are never in the wrong place at the wrong time. We are always in the right place at the right time. And this is what God was showing. Yes, the Jews had the most horrific persecution. But they were not being annihilated, just like the thorn bush wasn't. Why? Because God was willing it so. That's the second thing. The third thing is that there were many types of trees around the mountain. God could have chosen anything. Why did he choose a lowly thorn bush? Another message. God was saying to Moshe, I am partaking in Israel's sufferings. As it says in Telem, I am with him, meaning I am with the Jew in time of trouble. So, yes, the Jews' status in the world was like that lowly thorn bush amongst the trees. They were very low, but that's where God would be found. He'd be found in the thorn bush. Another reason why it was a thorn bush is that the thorn bush alluded to Israel's exile in Egypt. You know, we know that it's very easy. Don't try it at home. Please don't try this at home. But it's very easy to place one ha one's hand into a thorn bush. But then try to remove it. It will be torn by the thorns. That's why it's a thorn bush, right? Because it protects itself. Similarly, the illusion here is, is that the Egyptians found it very easy to accept the Israelites and subjugate them. But when the Jews try to leave, it would be difficult. 
And another illusion is when the Jews will leave, the Egyptians will be severely wounded. So both those things are, are, are equal. And lastly, of all the trees, the thorn bushes is the only one that has five leaves around each twig. It's like similar to the myrtle that we use um, on Sukkot. There we know there has to be normally three leaves around each twig. Why um, was there five leaves around each twig? Because that was alluding to the fact that Israel didn't really have a merit to be redeemed in and of its own. We had to fall back on the merit of of our forefathers or of five saints. Who were they? Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, and Aaron. It was in the merit of these five great people, okay, that um, we uh, what's the name? We 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 were going to be redeemed. And so again, that's the illusion of the thorn bush. One more thing about the thorn bush. The thorn bush, the word in Hebrew is hasne. If you look at the gematria, the numerical value of hasne, you will see that it adds up to 60. He is 5. Um, Samach is 60. That's 65. Nun is 50. That's a 115. And the last he is another 5. That brings it to a, mer- a numerical value of 120. And that's an illusion that Moshe would be destined to live for 120 years. Finally, Moshe saw this vision in the afternoon and during the time that the Mincha prayer was, was, uh, was, was being recited. I'm going to stop there. We're going to go for a little bit of a break and then I'm going to unfortunately have to jump backwards because I left out two verses that we should have said. At the beginning, this is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, we're just going to have Kvitsnaderech, right? We're going to, you know, in Torah it says that there's no time and place for things. So we're just going to go back to verses, to chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, which I omitted. Um, and I should have started at the beginning of my show. But man, nonetheless, it gives context to now Moses finding himself in front of the burning bush. And these are the two verses. And it was during those many days, the king of Egypt died. The children of Israel groaned because of their labor. And they cried out. And their, their moaning from the labor of, of, from the difficulty of the, of, of the servitude came up before God. God heard their cries. And God remembered the covenant at Abraham, at Yisak, at Jacob that he'd made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Vayar Elokim et Bnei Yisrael, and God saw the children of Israel. Vayeda Elokim, and God knew. And then the verse goes on to the fact that Moshe was a shepherd for his father-in-law, and we start the incidents of the burning bush. Let me just give you a little bit of background um, to that. We're told that three years passed from the time that Moshe had married Zipporah, and 
till God speaks to him at the burning bush. What happened during that time in Egypt, during those three years, the persecution, however terrible it was, became more severe, and the Jews started groaning under the, the harsh burdens. Okay, now it seems that these last three years before Moses comes to the burning bush were the worst, were the harshest of the persecution. The Torah says, and this is where, where do we pick this up from? From the words, Vayi, Bayamim, Harabim, Haheim. That it, it was one of the, of, of many, many days. The Torah goes and says the follows. When a person enjoys life and is engaged in interesting work, days pass very rapidly. But when a person is miserable, every day seems like a year. And this was a situation now with the Israelites. Because during this three year period, they suffered more torment than during all the other years added. And that's why it says the Jews groaned because of their harsh labor. The reason they give is they say that the king of Egypt died. But according to some opinions, it wasn't that he died. What actually happened? Okay? Because if they died, they, you wouldn't hear that they, that they found that the, the, the labor to be far harsher than they'd ever, ever experienced. They would have rejoiced, right? It would have mean tiddly-do to a harsh tyrant, and hopefully the successor would be better. The rabbis tell us, what did it mean that he died? It meant that Pharaoh had actually contracted a leprous skin infection. Now, when a person becomes a leper, the same we have it in Isaiah, if a person becomes a leper, um, the, the, the person, albeit that he is alive physically, he is as good as dead, okay, um, because he has no quality of life. So here we've got Pharaoh. He died, meaning that he became a leper. And the physicians told Pharaoh he was in incredible pain, told Pharaoh that the only cure for his disease was to bathe in the fresh human blood of young children. And they added that whose blood would be better? The Jewish people's, the Jewish children's blood. That would be particularly effective. So Pharaoh issued orders that 150 Jewish children be slaughtered every morning and then 150 every evening so that he could have a constant fresh blood supply to bathe in. And when they heard that, for three years this went on, that's when they groaned because of the labor. Now, interestingly, it should have said, well, then they should have cried out because their children were being slaughtered. What does it mean because of the labor? Well, labor in this case just doesn't mean the harsh work. It means the time. Okay. And when we actually even go and look at the whole thing, if you go look at when God told Abraham that the Jews would be enslaved, they said they'd be enslaved for 400 years. In truth, they were only enslaved for 210 years. So we need to find a resolution to why slaughtering the children is labor. And the answer is this. There's actually a few. First of all, it was labor in that labor means that they fulfill the decree through numbers rather than time. Meaning if you have a 100 people who are destined to be in exile for 400 years, you could also go and say 200 people need to only be in exile for 200 years. So the intensity of living under the hardship of Pharaoh was 
beyond, exponentially beyond human capacity. Also, they were supposed to be slaves to Pharaoh, and that would have been okay, but Pharaoh went beyond the letter of the law. He degraded them, he broke their bodies and spirits, and he completely exhausted them. So every year was like equivalent to two years. Also, their population, and that we spoke about before as a blessing from God, was that it was increasing all the time, right? Women were having children six at a time. Um, that would have still been a cherry on the top of a horrible situation. But now, okay, what was happening is that their population was decreasing. When a madman starts killing 300 children every single day, you're going to have a decrease in the population. And a decrease in the population also meant that the redemption would take much longer because if you have to fulfill in a certain amount of time, if your population is increasing, then you have more workforce. If you have more workforce, you can get the work done quicker and you can bring the redemption quicker. But if your population is decreasing, okay, you're going to make things worse and worse, not better and better. Now, that's why... They didn't just cry about the fact that their children were being slaughtered. They were crying about the entire thing. The entire thing was just beyond human capacity. And quite honestly, I have to say that after I've read so much around this Egyptian slavery, that whilst it is, it, it sounds and it feels wrong to say so, it was worse than anything in the Holocaust. Worse. Worse. Um, because it went on for 210 years. That's number one. We only went through the Holocaust for, for five years. Okay. And the, the degradation and the cruelty that was seen was way beyond all the cruelty and all the degradation that we saw in the Holocaust. And one can hardly wrap one's mind around the Holocaust. Now, what happened? Pharaoh put out this decree, okay, that he needed the blood of Jewish children, but he didn't get better, okay? He didn't get better. The Jews started crying out to God. And in fact, we're told at one point in time, because he wasn't getting better, he upped it that there, would, um, that there was 375 children killed, morning and night, and the more he killed them, the more he, 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 what's her name, the more he upped the quota. And we are told in the Midrash that there was one time that the, that some Egyptians went and told Pharaoh, you know, they're, they're not fulfilling their quotas. And Pharaoh said to them, the Hebrews know that I'm sick and that's why they become so lazy. They're mocking me. They're claiming to be working hard, but they really, they're really trying to live an easy life. And he, he started going mad and he says, I'm going to go there and see it for myself. Now, remember, he had this serious skin infection. He wasn't interested. Against all the, uh, please don't do this, he got on his horse prepared and he said he's going to make a royal visit to the land of Goshen and that 10 people should accompany him to see to his knees. Now, I'm going to read what the Midrash says. It's quite sickening. 
With pus running from the open sores in his body, Pharaoh was helped onto his royal chariot. He gave orders that a shortcut be taken through the narrow roads in the hill country in order to arrive as soon as possible because he was in so much pain. The horses were forced to run at full gallop, holding everything close together because of the narrowness of the road. But on one turn, the horses' feet became entangled in each other. The chariot was completely overturned. Pharaoh fell under his horses. His, clo- his cloak became entangled in the traces. The horses struggled to disentangle themselves. They trampled Pharaoh even more. And now Pharaoh suffered many broken bones, severe lacerations, and he was so badly injured that he never made it to Goshen. He came back to Egypt on a stretcher. All this, of course, was by divine providence, because God was punishing Pharaoh for his desire to go visit Goshen and make things even worse. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And just to end up, so Pharaoh comes back. He was lying now in his bed, in his palace. He knew his end was near. He had three sons, two daughters. The one daughter was Batya, which we know joins the Jewish people, marries um, Kalev He's got um, Three sons The f- oldest son was immediately ruled out As a successor Because he didn't have the will or the intelligence um, There was another son Who was highly motivated Very intelligent But he was We are told in the Midrash He was extremely ugly He was short, fat, dwarf With a very long face But because he was extremely intelligent and for the benefit of the kingdom, they chose him to be Pharaoh's heir. He marries a 10-year-old as a wife. He has another three wives, eight sons, three daughters. And they watch the demise of the current Pharaoh. It says that many of his, of his skin became gangrenous. Um, the stench was so bad, if you walked past him, it smelled like a dead animal rotting in the summer sun. He suffered like this for the whole three years. He died. And with the death of this Pharaoh... There was an, the unbroken dynasty of 94 years came to an end. By the way, he wasn't even been able, they wouldn't, able, they weren't able to mummify him because, um, he had such a horrible stench and no one would want to go next to him. He wasn't even buried in a tomb prepared for him. And that was a Mida Kenegad Mida, a, a action for a, re, a reaction for an action. He was given what he, what he was doing to the Jewish people. Okay. Um, and this was now the setting. The Jewish people started crying again about the labor, not about the harshness, all about the, the Jewish children being slaughtered. But now this new king that came up, he was more vile than his father. And it was at that point in time that God heard the cries of the Jewish people, and he now comes to Moshe to speak to them. Sorry, a little bit of a reverse, but still nevertheless part of the story. From next week, we are going to see how what conversation Moshe has with God and how the redemption can start unfolding. This is 101.9 High FM. I'm Edel Kozilski, and I will see you again next week. Have a wonderful week ahead.